0: So, Lord Jesus, we let you go, but you did not let us go. And now we're beginning to know we love you. Thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would help us to preach that, the gospel this morning. And I pray, Lord, that no one would be distracted by how sweaty I am this morning (laughs) or worried that I'm about to have a heart attack or fall over because I'm not. Uh, So, Lord Jesus, would you help us to see you and worship you this morning? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The PTL Television Network presents Jim and Tammy. Come on now, let's have a great big welcome for Jim and Tammy Baker! Hello! To have you here? My, what a wonderful audience. Let us praise God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Ooh, you are so big. Ooh, you are so big. So absolutely huge. So bad. Gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. Gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. Lift your hands, lift your hands and begin to worship. Would you lift your hands with me as we pray in the name of Jesus? God, forgive me of my sins. God, Give me God, cleanse me. Cleanse me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. La, 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 Yeah, let that tongue go. Here it comes. We're going to speak it other tongues. Let Let it go. We no. if somebody says praise the lord those are the images that come to my mind you know the book of psalms is a collection of hymns it was the hymnal of ancient israel and the hymnal of jesus psalmos is just greek uh, which which means Um, song accompanied by instruments. There are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. Uh, The book ends with five songs that begin with the word hallelujah and end with the word hallelujah. Hallelujah is Hebrew for praise the Lord. So I'd like to read three those uh, three of those five PTL psalms at the end of the book of Psalms, then focus on the, the last one of those, Psalm 150, the summation and the climax of the psalms, okay? This is Psalm 148. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling His Word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn, power for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assemble of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people, He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all His godly ones. Praise the Lord." That must be the judgment written. Now Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His exceeding or excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipes. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. And now let's just stop there. We'll read the last verse in in just a minute. But you know, sometimes people wonder, what is Scripture really saying? But I feel like we can discern this. If you could sum it up in three words, what was all that Scripture saying? Praise, the Lord. Praise Exactly! That's exactly right, Sandy. Good Bible good. say. Praise the Lord! And it's not an option. It's a command. But honestly, I feel a little bit ambivalent about the command. Because number one... How can God command praise? And number two, why would God command praise? Is God needy? Is He insecure? You know, dictators like Kim Jong-un, they command praise with legislation and, and threats, but it doesn't really work. And that's number three. Commanded praise seems fake. Gosh, we're really all impressed down here. Uh, the Mormons in their in their suits kind of remind me of um, Kim Jong Il's soldiers sitting behind him. Uh, when I visited the Mormon Tabernacle in high school, they had um, they, uh, they they had a picture like this. You want to show that next uh, slide, Stephen, or uh, what was it? Yeah, the next one. Um, uh, they had a picture, and it, it was like of just the choir, and it was talking about how this is heaven, and you could go to heaven. And I remember thinking, I do not want to go to there. <laughs> so praise often seems fake, and I wonder if it's justified. And that's, that's number four. I, I love the Hallelujah Chorus, but it's being sung by Mormons with bad theology. In the Borat clip, those Pentecostals, they look foolish. On the PTL club, they preach a prosperity gospel as if grace could somehow earn you prosperity or greed, or greed could be justified by your praise. Uh, I remember watching one episode, I think it was um, James Baker, it was James Baker sitting uh, in a chair, kind of in the desert, and he talked about how God had called him out to the desert to pray like the prophets of old except the desert was Palm Springs. And behind him, there was this magnificent mansion. And I think that's what re- really bugs me about PTL. I think, God, Jim Baker has bad theology. He looks like a fool. I think he's faking it. And he does not deserve that mansion. God, there are children starving to death in Africa. And Jim Baker praises you for that mansion. He does not deserve that mansion. So, PTL irritates me. And when the show uh, was taken off of the air because of scandal, I was happy. (laughs) Or maybe happy is really not the right word for it. I wasn't really happy so much as I felt that my grumpiness was justified. So, anyway, what is praise? Hallel is the Hebrew, and it means uh, shine. So. Hallel means uh, uh, to shine, and hallelujah means uh, to praise the Lord or reflect the Lord's glory. Um, Reflect the Lord's glory back to Him saying, you are glorious. That's praise. Human beings often hang on to glory, glorifying themselves. But sometimes we praise something other than the self. And here's the really surprising thing. When I do praise, not fake praise, but, but genuine, real praise, when I praise, upon reflection, I mean, I have to reflect back on it later, but upon reflection, I realize I'm happy. I mean, think about it. Think about the moment right after you take a bite of pizza, maybe after you've been hungry a really, really, really long time, the moment that you say, this pizza is awesome! For a moment, you forget yourself. Praise the pizza and you're happy. Think about the first time you saw the ocean, if you're from Colorado. Or think about the first time that you saw the Grand Canyon. John Piper said something like this, nobody stands at the grand edge of the Grand Canyon and thinks, how amazing am I? <laughs> you look at the Grand Canyon and you say, that's, that's incredible! You praise, you forget yourself, and you're happy. Think about reading a great book or seeing a great movie. You praise the movie, you say, that was great, and then, and then you're happy. And, and now think of the moment that you receive praise. Someone says something like, you did a a really good job. That's nice, isn't it? But it's different. It's nice, but then it makes you kind of nervous. If you're like me, you think to yourself, oh, crap, how am I going to do that again? You get stuck on you, even kind of addicted to you. But when you praise, you forget you. You lose yourself, and then you find yourself happy. So maybe, maybe God's not needy, but we are. God doesn't need to be praised, but we need to praise God. In Psalm 50, verse 12, God says this, If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness, it's all mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He's saying, I don't need your sacrifices, but you need to sacrifice. I don't need uh, to receive from you, but you need to give to me a sacrifice of praise. C.S. Lewis wrote this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. I think my best and happiest day this year was the 24th of January. My mom had been in the hospital for about three months. And on the 24th, she had just had two feet of her colon removed. In fact, I think she's sitting down in the narthex watching this on the TV right now. Mom's 88, hard of hearing! So can you hear, I don't know if she can hear me, but she's hard of hearing. And on the 24th, uh, she was still in the hospital. 88, hard of hearing, a widow, and on the 24th, 24th, life was really hard, but the AFC championship game was on the TV, and me and mom sat in the darkness together at the hospital and watched the AFC championship game, and when the Broncos beat the Patriots in the final 12 seconds of the game, Mom forgot her colon. I entirely forgot the church budget, and we praised God together. We praised the Broncos, actually, together, and, and we were happy. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. You, you see, we didn't give each other any new information. We just had to express the information we already knew. Sometimes people say, why do we sing those praise choruses over and over and over and over and over again? Why do we have to? We don't have to do that. We want to do that. It's praise. And Mom and I sat there and we said stuff like this Did you, did you, did you see that? Well, of course she saw that. She was sitting right there. We are sitting next to each other. Of course she saw that. Did you see that over and over? Praise. We were happy. Genuine praise. Not fake praise, genuine praise. So you see, you can't make yourself praise, but you can turn on the TV. You know, actually, whenever you turn on the TV, you're looking for something to praise. That's entertainment. So you can lose yourself and praise something for a moment and be happy. You can't make yourself praise, but you can drive to the Grand Canyon. And you, you can look. You can look. You can look for God. You can go to worship service a Sunday morning at the sanctuary. You can practice the dance steps so that when you finally hear the music, you can really start dancing. You can hope. The author of Hebrews writes that we have a hope that enters the inner sanctuary behind the veil where Christ has come, has gone and, and become our high priest into the ion, uh, into the age, into God's age which is to come. The, the church father, Gregory of Nyssa, spoke of the inner sanctuary in the temple as eternal, uh, beyond the curtain, beyond all the ages, in the seventh day, God's day of rest, where everything, 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 is finished. So you see, we don't hope for something that might happen. We hope for something that has happened and cannot not happen. And so it's not like the Broncos beating the Patriots, something that might have happened or might not have happened, or something that's only good for some. When the Broncos beat the Patriots, I was so happy, but but Bill Forgione was so sad, just so, just so. I it was forsaken. <laughs> yeah. what'd you say? I thought God was mistaken. Yeah, you thought that, right. There's a prayer you can be, forsaken. But. See, um, good beating the evil, so I want you to listen to this, Bill, so you'll have hope, okay, but, but God beating evil is not like the Broncos beating the Patriots. Evil is not a rival to God or some sort of equal opposite of God. God is the good, and evil is the absence of the good. God is I am, and evil is I am not. Evil is emptiness and void, but like Scripture says, God will be all in all, and so God will fill all things And that's how God conquers all evil. And that's how all creation wins. And so Peter Hyatt and Bill Fort Joni can both win on the very same day. Every creature wins because the creator of those creatures has won. It is finished and everyone gives praise constantly filled with the glory like a mighty river, the glory that is God. According to the church fathers like Gregory of Nyssa, no one truly loves evil for evil. People can only love evil, which they mistake, for the good. Because they don't truly know the good. So, so if you don't love the good, praise the good, it's because you have not yet seen the good. In the Revelation, John sees every creature seeing and praising the good, and what's the the slaughtered lamb standing on the throne. John sees beyond the veil, beyond our space and time. He sees into the seventh day, the finished creation. Jesus said, God alone is good. And Scripture says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Indeed, God speaks all things into existence with His Word. God is good, and He calls the creation good, His creation good. It must reflect His glory. But on the sixth day, Adam, man, does not know the good." I mean, God creates man in a paradise garden. And God walks with man in the cool of the day, and Adam does not say, thank you. This is good, this is good. And so God makes a woman, a beautiful naked woman, out of Adam's sight and brings her to the man and says, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over everything. And Adam does not say, thank you. This is really, 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 really good. Adam is surrounded by the good and the one who is good, but he doesn't know the good, so he doesn't praise. He does not yet reflect the likeness of God. He is not yet finished. It is not finished. Do you understand? I don't think you and I are finished until we begin to praise. And never, ever, ever stop because we freely will to praise with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. So, how does God command praise? How does God make us in his image and likeness? What is the word that God speaks to create praise within the human heart? Psalm 150, uh, verse 2, it said this, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. All creation is His mighty deeds. And then it says, Praise Him for His exceeding greatness. What's that? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that the greatest of all is least of all, last of all, and servant of all. Jesus is God who is the good in flesh. That's pretty great. We took his life on a tree in a garden, and he gave his life on a tree in a garden, crying, it is finished, delivering up his breath, becoming least of all, last of all, and servant to all who draw breath. He is God's exceeding greatness. And when we see him truly, we will worship. We will drop to our knees and say, surely, this man is the Son of God. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise. And that is how God commands praise. He speaks His Word, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals, and now the last line, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's the end of the psalm, the end of the psalms, and I think maybe the end of all things. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So you get the flow here. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Second person, imperative tense. Um, Peter, 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 praise the Lord. You praise the Lord. Then let everything that has breath praise the Lord. What a bizarre statement. Kind of reminds me of that bumper sticker that I've seen a bunch of times, you know, that says, free Tibet. Do you ever see that? Whenever I see a bumper sticker that says, free Tibet, I always think to myself, sometimes I even say it out loud in my car. I say, okay. Tibet, be free! But I didn't know that I had that power. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Number one, do I have that power to let everything that has breath praise the Lord? And number two, does everything just naturally praise the Lord? As if ecstatic praise is the default mode of the universe, so I just have to let it happen? And then number three, why would I not let it happen? Well. Praise does bother me when it makes us look foolish. I mean, Sasha Barra Cohen in that movie clip from Borat was making fun of those Pentecostal pastors, He was making them look foolish as they prayed over him in in tongues. And I don't know if that was authentic or fake tongues or whatever. I, I pray in tongues in my own private life. But I don't know if that was real or not. But I do know that after Jesus delivered up his breath, his breath fell on the early church at Pentecost. And the disciples praised the Lord in foreign tongues. And the bystanders thought they were drunk. They looked foolish. You may remember that many of the Psalms are written by King David, and someone did not want him to praise the Lord, did not want him to worship his bride, Michal, daughter of Saul. She said it made him look undignified. The way he took off his clothes and danced in his underwear before the ark of God, the throne of God on earth. Simon the Pharisee didn't want the harlot worshiping Jesus at his feet. You remember Judas rebuked Mary of Bethany for praising God at Jesus' feet. He said that perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Kind of like I thought Jim Baker, that mansion could be sold, the money, could be children given, that could be given to starving children in, in Africa. It bugs me when people with bad theology worship. Something inside me says, God, I hope you do not receive that worship. They have bad theology. And it bugs me when people don't sincerely worship. People who just recite liturgy. Oh, you're so big, we're all so impressed with you down here. Sometimes, you know, I even look around in this room while we're worshiping, and think, dang, people really aren't worshiping. And then I realize I'm not worshiping. I'm judging the worshipers. I'm not even practicing the dance steps. You know, people who practice the dance steps may not dance. But they want to dance. They hope to dance. And in that hope, we are saved, writes Paul. But I don't like improper praise, bad praise. I don't like praise from the undeserving. So when PTL went off the air, uh, due to scandal, I was, I was pleased because Jim and Tammy Faye Baker did not deserve what it was that they were praising God for. And I think that's the, really the heart of the matter for, for me. The Mormons, the Pentecostals, the boring Anglicans, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, they do not deserve what they are praising God for. They do not deserve their mansions, their chars, their, their monies. They don't, deserve, they don't deserve the Lord. Do I think I deserve the Lord? Do I think I deserve what it is that I praise God for? Because if I do, I've never praised God. I've only praised myself in the name of God and something in me thinks I am God I am the creator I am the savior I am the sanctifier that something in me hates it when people praise the Lord for they obviously don't understand that I am the Lord don't you hate it When someone gets praised for something that you think you did, don't you hate that? Someone gets praised for something that you think you've done. What if God does everything? In her famous vision, Julian of Norwich claims that she saw this truth, that there is no doer but God, and so sin is not something that is done. It's the absence of the doer, because God does everything that's anything. You know, I think St. Paul agrees with Julian. You've read the verse a million times, but you haven't believed it. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. He wrote, love bears all things believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. That means if you bear, believe, endure, or hope a thing, it's actually love in you, bearing, believing, enduring, and hoping that thing. It's love. And God is love. And when you see it, when you truly see Him, your ego will just get torched. And then you'll begin to praise God. In freedom, for you will know the good and see that God is good. God is good and everything He creates reflects His glory. When something that contains His breath returns His breath, it's called praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Psalm 98, the rivers clap their hands, the hills sing for joy. Revelation 5, John sees every creature praising God and the slaughtered lamb standing on his, on, on, on the throne. They're, they're singing, they're all singing and they never stop singing. So heaven is like this mute, constant musical where they never, ever, ever stop singing. And, and it's like that finished and forever new creation, heavenly creation, filled with glory, is pressing in on this dark and fallen world, which is aching to surrender to the force of eternal reality and break forth into ecstatic and ceaseless praise. But my ego won't stop running around yelling, stop that, stop it, stop it, no singing while I'm here. Now I know that some of you don't appreciate the classics. But I'm a patron of the fine arts, and so what I'm describing kept reminding me all week of this. One day, lad, all this will be yours. What, the curtains? No, not the curtains, lad. All that you can see stretched out over the hills and valleys of this land. That'll be your kingdom, lad. Mother. Father, lad, father. But, Father, I don't want any of that. Listen, lad. i built this kingdom up from nothing. And that's what you're gonna get, lad. The strongest castle in these eyes. But I don't want any of that. I'd rather... Rather what? I'd rather... just... sing. Stop that. Stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. Now, listen, lad. In 20 minutes, you're getting married to a girl. Whose father owns the biggest tracts of open land in Britain. But I want the, the girl that I marry to have a certain special son. Cut that out! Cut that out! Look, you're money and Princess Lucky, so you better get used to the idea. You got my note! Uh, well, I, I got uh, a note. You've come to rescue me! Uh, well, no, you see. Um, I knew someone would. I knew that somewhere out there, there must be someone. Oh, stop that! Stop, stop that! Stop it! Stop it! No, I was saved at the last minute. Ow! Well, I'll tell you. Not like that! Not like that! No! Stop it! to Stop! So my ego is like a proud king running around my sad soul before the great wedding banquet saying, stop it, stop it. No singing, stop that, not like that. This is my castle. I am in control. And so you see, my ego must die. Psalm 150. Praise God in his sanctuary. In the sanctuary... Things die. I always worry that people think we named this the sanctuary, like some sort of bird sanctuary or something, but we named it for the sanctuary in the temple. In the sanctuary, bulls, goats, lambs are sacrificed to the burning presence of God. Psalm 50, God says, I do not rebuke you for that, but I desire a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. When I praise the Lord, something dies in the sanctuary that is me. And so the psalmist commands, praise the Lord. Second person indicative. You just do it. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 5.20, St. Paul writes, give thanks always and for everything. Always and for everything. You know, when I give thanks for anything, I assault my ego. I don't have to do it perfectly, I don't have to do it with the right intentions, I just have to do it at all, just just partly right, and I assault my ego. When I say, thanks for the cheeseburger, I'm confessing, I don't deserve this cheeseburger. And then I can really enjoy the cheeseburger. When I say, thanks for letting me serve you, Lord, I'm confessing, I don't deserve to serve you, Lord. And then I can begin to enjoy serving the Lord, for love is not the burden I bear. Love bears the burden that is me. When I say thanks for everything, I'm confessing I don't deserve anything, and everything is a gift. My ego not dies I, and, and, and prays, well, it happens, I let it happen, it's, it's, it's a gift. So if you get nothing else from this sermon, just remember this, just start thanking God for stuff. That's it. Whatever. Cheeseburgers, ketchup, you have the ketchup from um, Whole Foods is so good. I tried doing it, this, and I just was going, wow, this is great. Whatever, just thank God for stuff. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.4. 4. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Uh, understand, men, a, a naked woman is not evil, but the way your ego looks at her is. So, thank God for her. Something in you will die, and you'll look at her differently. Or maybe not at all. A bottle of wine is not evil, but the way your ego takes it is evil. So, thank God for the wine, and you'll begin to do what God wants you to do with the wine, which is maybe for a time to stop drinking it. Thank God for everything, even the experience of nothing. Not the nothing, because you can't thank God for nothing, because then you're thanking Him for nothing. So not the nothing, but the experience of the nothing. Why? Because God is using your experience of the nothing to help you know the something. God is using your experience of evil to help you know the good. It's like that song Vince sang at the offertory. You only need the light when it's burning low. Only miss the sun when it starts to snow. Only know you love her when you let her go. And you let her go. Maybe we only know we love God when we let him go. And we let him go. I mean, think about it. Adam had God, and God is the good, but Adam didn't know God is good or that his word is good. He did not have the knowledge of good. So, on the sixth day of creation, God said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not eat. For in the day you do eat of it, dying, you will die." That's God's word. But Adam did not know that God's word was good. So mankind, Adam, took knowledge of the good on a tree in a garden and lost the good. He crucified the good. And that day is this day, and we will all die. And then we will know the good. Do you understand? The cross is the tree, and the tree works. God didn't command us to crucify the good. That's evil. But God arranged everything so that we would crucify the good, so we would lose the good, encounter evil, and he could give us the good, and we would then know the good, choose the good, and praise the good forever in freedom. Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead is the good, and knowing him is eternal life. The cross is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the cross is the tree of life. This is where you come and get eternal life. And the cross annihilates your ego, and the cross creates endless praise in that empty, desolate place. To, to know God is to praise God, is to be finished in the image and likeness of God. So God, like Paul says, consigned all men to disobedience, that He may have mercy on all. So. Everything that has breath will praise the Lord. See, it's in the dark that we come to know the light. And so it's no accident that David wrote his very best praise songs in the darkest caves. And it's no accident that Jesus the Christ sang those very songs as he hung on the tree, and it's no accident. Paul and Silas sang in the Philippian jail, and the earth shook, and the doors sprung open. It's no accident that Friedrich Handel wrote the Messiah and the Hallelujah Chorus. When he was flat broke, his right side was entirely paralyzed. He thought he was an absolute failure. It's no accident that God met him there in that place, and for 24, 24 days, Handel never left his house, but poured out his soul onto pieces of paper uh, that became the Messiah and the Hallelujah Chorus. It's no accident that Jim Baker lost everything and learned to praise God in a prison cell. You see, that was God's gift to Jim Baker, teaching him to praise. I'm just saying thank God always and for everything, and you will mortify the flesh. That means you will deliver up your ego for crucifixion And when your ego dies, you will no longer try to praise. It will just happen. And you will let it happen. And if you don't let it happen, if you don't deliver your ego up for crucifixion, well, God will still arrange for it to happen. (laughs) Psalm 149. Remember, the psalmist wrote this. He wrote, Let the high praises of God be in their throats, and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nation's peoples and kings. In the revelation, Jesus, who is the double-edged sword, the word of God, the judgment of God, and the vengeance of God, he strikes down the nations and kings in chapter 19, and the birds of the air gorge on the flesh of the peoples, the nations, and the kings, all peoples, and then the nations and the kings, they bring their glory into the new Jerusalem, they praise. See, it's no accident that when Israel entered the land, God commanded the choir to lead the army, the high praises of God destroy the equal ego. They destroy the ego. They, the praises of God, they mortify the flesh. They break down the walls, and they set you free to dance in your underwear. <laughs> like King David, before the very throne of God, as he delights in you. Sets you free. But not only sets you free, sets all creation free. Now it gets weird. Peter, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and let, let, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I mean, it's as if all creation is waiting for Peter Hyatt to praise the Lord, and that's what Paul really says in Romans 8, waiting for the revelation of the sons of glory, waiting for Peter to learn to praise the light in the kingdom of darkness. Peter, Peter, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. No one deserves to praise the Lord. And if you think you deserve to praise the Lord, well, you haven't seen the Lord or His creation. You know, physicists have shown that intention in an observer's mind collapses the quantum state of subatomic particles that make up all creation. And so, they have postulated that there are an almost infinite number of universes corresponding to the almost infinite number of choices made by observers who are us. Yet in Scripture, it's like there's only one true universe that God makes with one choice, one judgment, one will, one word, one intention that became flesh, and we know as Jesus That universe is truly real. And that universe, in that universe, that eternal universe, everything, everything, everything that has breath constantly praises the Lord. God breathes life into them as they constantly return that life as praise before the throne. And no one says, know the Lord, because they all know the Lord and worship the Lord, constantly losing themselves and finding themselves in ecstatic joy. It's God's choice. And yet, it has also become their choice, and that choice is free and absolute love, unending grace. However, in time and for a time, we each make our own choices, and we each create our own kingdom. We each construct our own self-centered, arrogant, proud, grumpy, little, lonely universe in which we refuse to praise the creator and think that we are our own creator. It's a futile world. It's a false world. It's a dark world and a very, very lonely world that we sometimes call hell. As long as your ego sits on the throne of that world, As long as you refuse to let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, you shut yourself out of God's creation, that eternal city, and you trap yourself in outer darkness. And that's why it's so absolutely crucial that you forgive your enemies and let them Praise the Lord for His mercy. That's why it's so absolutely important that you believe that Jesus took away the sins of the whole world so that you will let the whole world praise the Lord for His mercy. And that's why you must believe that God has reconciled all things to Himself in Christ Jesus so that you will let all things praise the Lord. Do you understand? I mean, it must have really, really been hard on the ego of those 12 Jewish disciples to let the Roman centurion who had just crucified the Lord be the very first to drop to his knees and praise the Lord. It must have been really hard on the religious ego to let a former prostitute and demoniac like Mary of Magdalene be the first to praise the Lord on Easter morning. It must have been really, really hard on the ego of those early Christians to let a religious, genocidal, terrorist, maniac like Saul of Tarsus praise the Lord and write the Bible. And yet, yet, in the end, I think this is the judgment. Will you let, will you let Roman centurions, demoniacs, prostitutes, Pharisees, and terrorists praise the Lord? Will you let everything that has breath praise the Lord? Will you surrender your damn little universe and praise the Lord? And so the Lord sat at the table on that night that we all delivered up the good for crucifixion. He took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner after supper he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant, the eternal covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. This is the good. And now will you praise the Lord and let Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And while you're at it, let there be light. And let there be fish in the sea and birds in the air. And let there be an entire new creation and let there be a new you. The one that praises the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God, blessed be your name. Your name is Jesus, and it means God is salvation. And I wouldn't know that if you didn't give and take away and give again. So, Lord God, I thank you that even when you take away, it's a form of giving. For you're giving us knowledge of yourself, that you are grace and everything is a gift, and you desire that we would enjoy you forever and ever and ever. That's the reason that you made us. That's the reason you're making us. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus I see you're good. (laughs) Thank you. Amen. My glasses are all steamy, sorry. This is just the way it's going to be until like October, okay? And this is nothing. You should see when I work out in the basement. I mean, I still got dry spots on my shirt here. But uh, sometimes people wonder, well, what's the practical application point of that, ser- that sermon? Uh, I hope you see the practical application with this sermon, and that's just start thanking God for stuff, okay? Just thank Him for everything. When you see stuff, just thank Him for stuff. And what's so cool about is you can't screw up, because if you thank Him for the wrong thing, you're really thanking Him for nothing and just let it go, okay? But start, start uh, thanking Him, and uh, as you do, it begins to destroy your ego. So it's a discipline to, to thank Him. And over time, you'll realize that God takes more and more and more and more and more away until there's nothing left to thank him for except himself. On that day, you won't be thanking him for reflected good. You'll be thanking him for the good. You will have died with him. And then you will live with him. And you will let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And you will praise the Lord because you're home. Believe the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.